Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to the Valentine's episode of Telling Everybody Everything. It is February 15th. Valentine's was yesterday, and I hope that you did something very sexual with someone that you love. Maybe you went for a Galentine's route and hung out with your girlfriends. Maybe you did something all alone, and you know, the romance that you find with yourself, if you can be your own best company, then you're having a great life. Because we're born alone, we die alone. How's that for a Valentine's sentiment? David Hay, for those of you who don't know, maybe you're listening from abroad or boxing is not your thing. He's a British championship heavyweight boxer, I think. I'm not into boxing either, but I like David Hay. We've worked together on a lot of shows before. He comes on panel shows. Um, I think he's done Your Face or Mine, or maybe he did the roast thing on Comedy Central. I forget the first time that we worked together, but I've worked with him loads. As far as I know, he's a really great guy. Oh my gosh, I really hope this doesn't backfire because every time I say someone's a really good guy, it turns out that they're like a big game hunter. And Oh, David Hay has the largest collection of illegal ivory. I don't, as far as I know, <laughs> I think he's funny, I think he's nice, and I follow him on social media. We actually did a Gusto campaign together uh, most recently, I think, and, I, and that involved following each other. We did this like virtual dinner party during COVID, I think. I think. Anyway, I like him a lot. And lately he's been posting like, oh, I'm looking better than ever. I'm 10% body fat. I weigh this much and good for him. I don't know how you do that. Um, but he's not giving birth to children, fair enough, but I mean, the discipline that it takes to do that, good for him. He's happy, he's living his best life, and he appears to have two girlfriends. I don't know the details of this. He posted about these women, I think a while ago, I, f I first saw him pictured with two women, and I thought, mm, what's the nature of their relationship? It's none of my business. People have loads of different shapes of relationships now that a vanilla woman of my age is unfamiliar with but then it was valentine's and he posted um very grateful for my two queens and i was like i think he's in a throuple it seems like he's dating both these women and good for him again i don't judge but i'd had a glass of wine last night as you do and i 
I mean, I posted a long time, I mean, maybe a few weeks ago about having a one glass of white wine with dinner while nursing Fena. And the internet exploded. Like, of course, mom's net is like, Catherine Ryan shouldn't be drinking. And there was an article that came out the other day with this woman who goes, um, I, I like to booze it up while breastfeeding like Catherine Ryan. I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on. No one's, I, I forget the words that were used, but it was something about booze. When did I become the poster child? for drinking and breastfeeding. I had one glass of white wine, everyone slow down. The article was fine, it was lovely and considered actually, and the woman was backing me up and made a good point. She breastfed her, her twins for like two and a half years and she was like, that's a very long time to stay sober. And she included all this science about how it doesn't really enter your breast milk, it doesn't harm the baby. Anyway, I'd had a glass of wine last night and I decide this podcast needs a shot in the arm. I need to be spilling the tea, T-E-E, -E, telling everybody everything. I have a glass of wine and all of a sudden I think I'm Stacy fucking Dooley. I decide I'm going to message David Hay and see if he'll come on my podcast and talk about his two queens and um, really elaborate on the nature of that relationship. And he was actually very nice. He wrote me back like, no, the details of me and the queens is totally under wraps. And I was like, fair enough. I can't believe I even messaged being like, David, come on my podcast tomorrow. It's not my business. It's not our business. And I like, I like what he's doing. Whatever he's doing, I really like it. And he's like, hope you're well. Hope the family is well. He's just such a nice guy, as far as I know. And if you want to be in a thruple, or maybe he's not, maybe like one of them is his nanny and one of them is like his personal assistant. And the people who help me in my day-to-day -day business life are also my queens. Fred is with his babysitter, Miriam, right now. I'm obsessed with Miriam. My favorite color is Miriam. My favorite song is Miriam. My favorite day of the week is Miriam. Miriam's the light of our lives. And I didn't want to get her because I was worried that if I had help, I'd never learn to do like two small kids by myself. And that has happened. Miriam is the mobility scooter I didn't know I needed. And I could never walk again. So oh, that's happened, but I'm very lucky to have her. Anyway, David Hay, hey, great guy. I wish I could tell you what's going on with the Queens. I can't, but go look at his Instagram and admire his level of physical fitness, if nothing else. It's a new year. New Year's was last month, but I've been very busy creating and feeding and raising new life. The baby is not with me on the podcast currently, though she might come out. She fell asleep in the house. And I thought, oh, I'm going to pack her up and bring her out to the podcast studio. And then I stopped myself and I went, hang on, Catherine. She's eight weeks old. There are other people in the house. They can watch her. If she wakes up, she'll be out here with us. But taking her out in the cold breeze, why do that? I can be away from this baby. Can I? Can I? I might go nuts. I'm not sure. So far, so good. Fena's great. Everyone's great. Um, we have been busy, so we didn't do a lot for Valentine's. I had Bobby's lovely nieces visiting from Canada. They are around Violet's age, so the girls had a fun time this week. They did golf camp. We went to Soho. We had a beautiful dinner. We went to Sarah Pascoe's brand new tour show. It's called Success Story. We saw that in London at the Shaftesbury Theater. But if you go to Sarah on tour, Sarah without an H, on tour.com, you can see all her dates. She's all over the UK. She's in Leeds soon, I saw. I don't know why that one stands out to me. I was just looking at her tour dates. Oh, I know why. It's because she has a baby like I do. And I look at her tour dates and weep. But her baby actually seems, without giving too much away, but it's not my place to talk about anyone else's kids. He seems a lot more amenable than mine. 
He is lovely, happy, smiley. She does say that he wakes up a lot at night, but so does Fred. And Fred can be a real, he could be a real something to some people. Uh, Bobby was a little bit taken aback by it. We went to Sarah's baby's birthday party. Uh, he is one year old. She posted that on her Instagram, so I don't feel that it's a secret. Comedian Sarah Pascoe, if you don't know who I'm talking about, but of course you do. And Fred was not having the crowd of people. He was like, uh uh, no. Um, he cried. He wouldn't say hello. And he locked himself. Well, he didn't lock himself. He refused to come out of Sarah's child's bedroom. Basically, he wouldn't come out of his bedroom at his house. It wasn't even his house. He's such a diva. He's like, no, I, I will not be making an appearance at this party. Maybe I'll come out at the end and do a quick number regale everyone with my bye bye he loves saying bye he'll say hi he'll say bye but when it comes to strangers i mean and these people aren't even strangers like he's seen them before he has seen all of my girlfriends were there uh, we all went to sarah's tour show together as well ashling b was there roshin Connedy was there tiff stevenson was there perfectly nice people um he doesn't even know that he's got some of the country's finest female comics looking for his attention, which like we are looking for the attention of no man. Fred should consider himself lucky, but he doesn't. He does. He hates female comedy. He's like, get the fuck away from me. I'm going to Theo's bedroom. Call me when this party is over. And you know, we want him to be happy and social. And Bobby's like, why is he doing this? I don't understand. But Fred is Bobby's first biological child. And I had to just explain to him, I don't know. My kids don't like people. Violet was the same way. And then one day when she was about two years old, she just turned around and was like, hi, everyone. Oh, I'm so charming and lovely. And she would go to school happily. Like some kids cry when you drop them off at school and reception. She never cried. She's always been very friendly and confident. But those infancy months, she was not, not down for other people. And I think that's because, well, I don't know. He was born at the end of COVID, but I think it's because we bend over backwards to entertain him 24 seven. Like, why would he want to be with anyone else? He's like, I have great parents. They're really cool. They know all the words I say. They understand me. I understand them. I just don't want to be in a crowd of people. We even try to coax him out with donuts, but he, he beat us. He mentally is stronger than us. And the donuts ended up going into the bedroom where he was calmly playing with Theo's toys. Anyway, well done to anyone who's made it through the first year. I think a baby's first birthday party is always super fun. Like I was saying, it's a new year. It is February, um, but Bobby and I have started looking into a few things that we can do better. This year, we both turn 40, which is fine by me. It's terrifying for some. And I think that's because things like physically change in your 40s. And yes, 40 is the new 20. And we've all seen the new Sex and the City series on Now TV um and sky but like my hips hurt now sometimes when i'm laying in bed i have like almost a 10 out of 10 pain in my hips sometimes and i have to turn over and i'm starting to gain weight like around the middle and i know i just had a baby but i've gained weight since she was born because i'm home thus too close to the fridge and i don't have any weird body issues i feel really comfortable with like who i am and what i look like i'm pretty cool with it but I also have to consider that my job is to be on TV. I like looking at beautiful things. And so there is a little bit of, I wouldn't call it pressure, but like I'm, I'm acutely aware that it would be in my best interest to be one of those beautiful things. And in society still, like we do reward thinness 
and we do reward like a young tight jawline and both of those things are slowly getting away from my grasp my jawline has changed and I don't get Botox or filler anymore because I'm pregnant and breastfeeding all the time but I have considered later in my 40s early 50s possibly getting a vertical restore a deep plane facelift because someone somewhere told me this is what the Kardashians are doing I also heard and this is totally unsubstantiated could be false that the Kardashians and other celebrities all got super thin by taking this medication for diabetes um, that can give you pretty bad side effects especially if you take it wrong it can give you like thyroid tumors it's actually quite serious but in the meantime it regulates your blood glucose levels and it keeps you fuller for longer and I mean some of this stuff gets in your head and you think like would I ever consider it not now but like down the very near future is that something that I should do and then I've never people think I've had loads of surgery I get that and that's fine I've never had any surgery on my face I did get breast implants when I was 21 I've always been very transparent about that but for the first time I'm like well should I get a little bit of lipo because everyone that I know well not no that's not true not everyone that I know does it but there are many people that I know who do it and they do it quietly and no one ever says anything about them and they always say that I've had bad face work or I've done everything else secretly I know who has and who hasn't and I have not but there's this doctor in Turkey that I think I think he's really talented and his specialty is doing that fat repositioning where they take some fat from your middle and then they shape your bum a little bit. I think the bum's kind of going out of fashion, but I said to Bobby, you know, maybe not now, because again, like I don't leave the children overnight and I am breastfeeding, but maybe in my 40s, I might like to go to Turkey and get liposuction. And he said, Catherine, take the money that that would cost, donate it to a mental health charity, stay here in London and stay alive for all the dependents that you have created. And I thought, fine. When I got breast implants, I didn't have any dependents. Nobody cared if I lived or died. And um, when you're young, you never feel like plastic surgery is a risk to your life. You just feel like it's what a lot of people do. And it's you don't think about your mortality like that. But I suppose now, yeah, like even if it's very safe, every time you get general anesthetic and people are like poking around in your body, it, it is a small calculated risk to your life. And that's so annoying. Oh, because... It would be great to be able to just go and do that unless it backfired. I don't know. I just don't know. Any ugh. Bobby's like, just drink smoothies with me and work out. No, how dare you, sir? I'm too busy for that. <sighs> then we had a meeting with our financial advisor because we do need to look at the next five years. I never want to retire from this job. I love, 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 love doing comedy. I hope to do it until I die under the knife. But the reality is I might not always be the one making that decision. Commissioners could stop commissioning me. Uh, bookers could stop putting me on shows. People could stop wanting to come to my tours. I don't really know what's going to happen. I can only hope that people still want to see me. As soon as they don't want to see me anymore, then I'm retired. I think that's how that works in this industry. But um, he said, no, you should make some investments and you need to do this and that. You need to be careful with your spending always. And I said, I have a question about my spending for our little friends at HMRC. Every single thing that I do 
is a business expense. Like every time I go somewhere or experience something, I talk about it on the podcast. The podcast does make money and I'm taxed on that money and I have to give it to my enemies. Every time I buy clothes and I don't own a lot of clothes, I rent clothes, uh, Jen borrows clothes for me. My stylist, Jen, I give them back. Like if you look at my wardrobe, I have track suits, like straight track suits, underwear that no longer fit me, too much denim and a few dresses, but ultimately I own very little. Um, and every time I do buy something that I own, like I'll wear it on Instagram or I'll tag it or I'll do something my Instagram activity also makes me money. I might not have ads directly on Instagram, but I have over 900,000 followers now. And that might mean nothing to most people, but I do get contracts sometimes based on that. And they'll say, oh, Catherine's busy on social media. Like let's give her this job or let's book her for this appearance or let's, um, put in her contract that she can tweet about something. And that's like, this is, if I had no social media, I would get less work in this society. I would earn less money and I would pay less tax. So arguably every single thing that I do is part of Catherine Ryan, the business. And how come I can't write it off? But he's so fucking strict. He's like, no, you can't, you can't write any of that off because you have like a duality where some of it's for work and you enjoy some of it in your own life. And trust me, I would have no issues paying tax if I thought it was going to healthcare, education, fixing the roads, all the services that we're all told our tax money goes to. But lately I've learned that it doesn't. So I just feel like you should leave me some of it and I can find like a nice family down the road who needs me to support them directly and do that instead. But my financial advisor said no. So I decided to make a few cutbacks of my own. And this is very controversial in my industry. And the last thing that I want to do is hurt anyone's feelings because I think that the people who work in this field are very talented and they've done a lot of good things for a lot of people. And I know that there's a place for them, but I don't feel that there is a place for them with me. And I'm talking about PRs. You might not know this if you don't work in comedy, but most of us employ a public relations person or company. And these people help sell your tour tickets by getting you booked on radio shows or TV shows to talk about your tour. They might position you with brands. Uh, disgustingly, sometimes they position you with a charity and that's for PR. They'll be like, oh, it'd be really good to see Catherine aligned with some charities. It would really make her look great. And that is the most disgusting type of charity. And I hate it. Like, oh, I'll be the ambassador for such and such. And then everyone will know that I'm a good person. Everyone already thinks I'm a bitch and there's no PR that's ever gonna change that. I had a meeting today about a brand new show that I'm really excited about. And they were pitching like the tone of it and they were like, so it'll be you being a bitch. And I was like, huh? And they were like, you know, your usual self, your usual unimpressed bitch faced you. And I was like, okay, you know, I get it. And then they kept showing examples of my face actually looking like a bitch, just being like, oh, mm, or, oh, you know, all the faces that I can now make because I'm not allowed Botox anymore. And I was like, oh, um, oh, here comes the baby. Hang on. Joining me now in the Telling Everybody Everything studio, it's Fena Grace. How long was that that she, oh my gosh, Fena, she survived 13 minutes without me. Amazing. And now we're reunited. So I was talking about PR. If you work in PR, I'm sure you might be a genius, though I will honestly say that a lot of the top losers that I used to meet on the school run were women who said they worked in PR. 
And I was like, PR for what? And they could never really answer. They're like, PR. I'm like, all right. And they were, they couldn't even do PR for themselves for the day, let alone for a big company or brand. I would never trust them with my image or reputation. However, the PRs that I have employed in the past, I love them. I loved working with them. I thought they were smart. I thought they were inventive. I thought they had good strategy. And I might be totally wrong in this, but I just, I'm not sure if there's a place for that job in my life anymore. And guess what the fuck it costs? PR, sit down. If you're not sitting down, sit the fuck down. If you're driving, pull over. I have spent in my lifetime between, well, zero when I'm not using it, but when I am using it, 1,800 and 4,800 inclusive of VAT in PR per month, per month. Some of these companies are like, we'll be 4,000 a month, please. And then you think, wow, what's going to happen for that? Like, I'm going to be totally rebranded. I'm going to be on the cover of Vogue. I'm going to be invited to all these events. I'm basically going to be Maya Jama at the end of this somehow. I'm going to have my own chat show. But no, like literally nothing happens. And I feel like with some actresses maybe or celebrities, maybe they have a statement to put out and they need PR to help them draft that. Or maybe they want to be invited to an event and they need to have someone put them on the guest list or they want to make an introduction with the journalist to get an interview or do this or do that. Currently, I don't want any of that. Bobby and I are staying home more than ever. And sometimes when I get invited to events and I'm very privileged to go and I have a lot of um, fun when I can get out of the house, but those people invite me to events directly. Like they email me or they email my agent. And if I have something that I want to say, I say it on the podcast or I put it on social media and I write it myself and I don't have any advice on how or when to say that. And if I want to donate to charity, I do that quietly and privately. I don't like, I just don't get it. I'm not going to be getting into any scrapes where I need some sophisticated spin doctor to get me out of it, rehabilitate my reputation. I am going to be 40 years old this year. Everyone's already made their mind up about who I am, what I am. Uh, and I don't, I don't think I can be positioned in any type of clever way. If I meet journalists, I'll meet them somewhere when I'm out. If I do a project that everybody loves, see, this is, this is the crux of it. I feel like, take The Duchess, for example. I made The Duchess, that one on Netflix. People didn't like it as much as we hoped, and therefore... It kind of just went away. If you make something like White Lotus, for example, and everyone loves it, oh, well, then all of a sudden, journalists reach out. They want to talk to you. They want to find out what's going on. You go to award shows. You win awards. Like Things like that happen, and it's, it's based on how good your work is, not how good your PR is. I feel like maybe it used to be the other way around, but I don't. Uh, it's so mean to say, because I am directly invalidating the careers of so many people. I don't mean to do that. I think a good PR person is useful for some brands, companies, people, but not, I don't think, for me. Cut to me having a massive scandal and falling without a net, but me being four grand richer every month as well. So I mean, I don't know. I think what I want to do, and I don't really know how to do this, because I, like I told you, I want to work in comedy for the rest of my life. I hope that people keep seeing my stuff, keep seeing my videos, keep wanting to like book me, keep watching my sitcoms, you know, coming to my tours. But I think I need a teen. And I know I have one in the house, but 
She doesn't help me with this stuff. I need some clever social media manager, geeky, and I mean geek in the nicest way because being a geek about something just means you love it a lot. I need some 16-year-old whiz to A, explain to me why I have 55,000 pictures on my picture thing on the computer and I can't export them to an external hard drive and I don't know why they're there and they're taking up all my memory, but I also need this teen to show me how to monetize TikTok videos and how to do that side of things. That's what I need. I don't have a producer working on the podcast. I don't want anyone my age helping me with anything. I think the future is teens. I can do everything that someone my age can do. That is the hindrance in my life. I believe that I can do everything, but I just need this young mind to tell me how to branch out on TikTok, on Instagram, like do that side of things. And if I spent PR level money on that, then there you go. People would always see my comedy and they would want to come to my shows. That's how I think about things. I'm sure that by now you have all sadly heard about the disappearance of a woman in Lancashire. Um, Nicola Bully is her name. Uh, allegedly, she disappeared, just like vanished into thin air after she'd got up for the day, got her children ready, done the school run. She took the dog for a walk and the dog was found her phone was found on a bench and she just wasn't there. And everyone has been talking about this case, looking for this woman. I really, really, of course, as time goes on, then statistically, your chances of being found safe are lower. So I really, really have been putting all the vibes that I can out into the universe that she is found safe. Um, then the other day, you know, I've been following the story and thinking, well, there are no clues. No one knows where this woman is. We can't find this woman. Like, what's happening? Lancashire police have uh, faced criticism because people are like, what are you doing? Like, where, where is this woman? So to take the pressure off themselves, they released very personal health information uh, about her, if it's even true. It really feels to me like sexism and a data breach at the very least. They came out and they said, oh, um, it's recently come to our attention that she had serious alcohol issues off the back of struggling from menopause. What? Like, I was taken aback. I thought it was honestly a joke. It was real. They came out and actually gave health information about where they'd gathered that from, I don't know, family members or her doctor or whomever. It doesn't matter. Because now, let's say Nicola mercifully is found, and that would be great, great news. She's going to be like, what? You released this health info. I, was, I had a very private alcohol issue, if that's even the case. Menopause has nothing to do with me disappearing. And now my children have had to read all this about me. And, and if she's not found, then it's still none of our business. Like, I just think it is definitely worth investigating how and why police could say that about a missing woman. And the reason it feels like gender discrimination to me is that, so what, I'm not allowed to drink and have menopause. And then if I go missing, like, oh, it was my fault. It almost is victim blaming in a way. And you wouldn't read that about a man. You would never read like, oh, you know, he, um, he had erectile dysfunction and it really, he hit the bottle struggling with that. So, I mean, he probably went missing on his own accord because of he was so upset about his erectile dysfunction. That would uh, never be released. 
So the fact that they're able to mention things like drinking and menopause when dealing with such a serious issue as a woman's disappearance, I couldn't believe it. So Lancashire police, the police have had just a terrible run lately. And it's worrying that no, I don't think anyone anywhere really trusts the police anymore since COVID things happened, but also before then and all the violence that we see in America and sadly here as well and all over the world. And they keep going, oh, it's just a few bad apples. Well, where are the good apples? And also maybe I think I don't like apples. It's very sad. And please let this woman be returned safely. And oh, yeah. Please listen to these messages from our sponsors. And when we return, I will open the telling everybody everything at gmail.com account and read your letters, everything you've been thinking, your questions about relationships, about yourself, about your work, about your life. If you ever want to write me a letter, that's the address. Telling everybody everything at gmail.com. We'll be right back. All right, Joanne curates the emails for me. That is my sister. She sends me this PDF that is so small, I think just to rub it in my face that I can no longer see. First one, Catherine, I like this new guy, but his penis is too small. Tale as old as time. Catherine, love your podcast, stand-up, TV shows, and of course, The Audacity. That is my book. I'll keep this short as possible. I know you got a lot of emails, but basically, I've been on a few dates with this guy. He's lovely. We have a lot in common, and we mesh really well. Conversation flows easily between us. He's looking for the same things that I am, which is great, because guys my age, 26, are never really looking for anything serious or want to go traveling, and that's not where I'm at. The only issue is we slept together the other night and the sex wasn't great. The main reason being he has a small penis. I don't really know where to go from here. Sex is an important part of intimacy to me, but I also really like him and spending time with him. Is it superficial to feel this way? Well, certainly not shallow, but i dad joke. I spend more time with him and should I see where it goes? Your input is appreciated. Well, like 26 year olds, I think genitalia is not severely important for that age group is what I'm learning. Do you know what I mean? Because that's like a very superficial, like you say, part of who you are. And some people are uh, given some sort of genitals at birth and then they identify a different way when they get older. And that's cool. And I'm happy for you guys. It's not something I had to experience. 
uh, when I was your age, it just wasn't as talked about or as prevalent. So I think you guys are told that you need to be less caught up on like penises full stop. Do you know what I mean? Um, so this is a man. This person has a penis. You like to have a certain size of penis and it's not there. So can you even talk about penises with people your age group? I don't know. How small are we talking? That's very important because I have heard folklore about the micro penis, which is a penis that is essentially a clitoris. And it, if you haven't seen one in the wild, they're like this big. And a girl that I know dealt with one and she kind of just licked on it and like sucked it as much as she could. And then he exploded. Um, and uh, she was shocked though. And like, it's all right if you're a man and that's what you have. Um, but it, it's not something that we see because I guess, I don't know. I don't know where women see penises except in private. Like guys see each other's penises, but we hardly ever see them. So I wish you had told me exactly how small it was because like how you can work with a certain amount and you shouldn't be made to feel bad basically. Like, okay, even if you are being superficial, should you be made to feel bad about that? If that's important to you? No, it's like, look, if, if someone who wants to travel is important to you, then fine. If someone who wants to settle down and have a real relationship is important to you, fine. And if a big dick is important to you, then who is anyone else to tell you that you're being superficial? It's like, it's on your list. You know that this guy can do a lot of manipulation with like toys or his fingers if that's what you wanted. So what's really going on with the dick? Why do you need it to be bigger than it is? I don't know. I'm trying to think if Bobby had a micropenis, would I still love him? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, oh, okay. If it's on your list and he doesn't have it, then he's not the one. And that is an awful thing to say because boys have body issues and stuff too. And I don't think they should be made to have huge dicks, but if it's on your list, it's on your list. And it's a very intimate thing and it's private and you shouldn't feel bad about that. You need to definitely find a different reason to break up with them though. Never ever say it's the small penis. That's the last thing you can say because that's very mean to say out loud, but privately, can that be the reason you bet it can if it's on your list? So you don't have to compromise for anything. You can find a guy that wants to be in a real relationship and wants to travel and has the kind of genitals that you're looking for. I hope that was helpful. Next email, cheers to Joanne for the tiny font, toxic brother. Catherine, first of all, I wanna say I'm a great admirer of all that you do. Joanne, you don't have to include that bit. I asked her not only to like curate the emails, but to just give me the hits, tell me what I need. Oh, you're amazing, da 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 da. All right, I'm writing to you for some insight. I am the youngest of three. I'm in my late 20s and I have an older brother in his late 20s. My brother, an incredibly difficult human being, is argumentative, misogynistic towards women, naturally. And if you disagree with him on any subject, he storms out and blocks your phone number. Yeah, he's a grown ass man. Every time he's around, I feel like I have to walk on eggshells or blow his fuse if I don't. As kids, he would often lose his temper, damage things in the house, causing all of us distress, especially our mother, who raised us as a single parent. A few months ago, we were around mums for Sunday lunch, and he started spewing offensive comments about women in general, saying how he'd been on so many dates recently, and all the women expect him to pay. All the women are so superficial. 
(laughs) And all of them are lucky to have so much choice when it comes to dating because of apps. Men get the short end of the stick. Long story short, I wasn't having any of his BS. And I was trying to make him realize how difficult it is for women who just want to live their best life, how the patriarchal nature of our society harms both men and women. He stormed out of the house, immediately blocked me on socials. And this whole argument made my mom very upset. Now that I'm an adult, I've realized I don't actually have to hang out with my toxic brother. However, mom is upset if we don't get along. I feel bad for making her feel bad. So my overall question is, is it wrong for me to block my brother out of my life, even though doing this upsets my mom? A part of me is also mourning the family unit we once had. Well, you didn't though, because he's always been smashing shit since he was young and being quite a toxic brother. Okay. It's very difficult for a lot of people to bite their tongue. I know that I'm gifted with the ability to just sit in the face of bullshit and be like, Okay, but my advice to you would be don't ask any questions. Like just for your mother's sake, if that's your goal, your goal isn't to change your brother. You've pretty much accepted like what his views are and how he wants to behave. You don't really, I mean, you mourn that relationship a little bit. So I guess if your goal is success at the end, they say that sometimes you win the battle, but you don't win the war. I would stop trying to win these little battles at dinner and such. I would stop trying to be like, well, actually I would just sit there, eat my spaghetti and be like, mm-hmm. so mom, what did you do today? You know, I just, I would leave it for a while and not trying to change his mind because it's too much energy for you. And it feels like he is very literally blocking it out. He's blocking your number. He's blocking you from socials. He stonewalls. He gets up, he gets mad. It's like, he's not receptive to what you're saying. And then maybe in your thirties, like you're going to live a long life. You guys are going to be a hundred. So like twenties, let him be an incel. And then maybe in his thirties, you can find a way in to say, oh, do you think, you know, there's there's sometimes a way to introduce an idea where the person doesn't get defensive. So I don't know, like a lot of men who are really toxic, they can only view women like in terms of, oh, well, my mom, I love my mom. So if this is happening to my mom, that's bad. So, I mean, just maybe in his thirties that you could find a way to remind him that his mother who has value in his life, who he can see as a human woman and an individual had hardships and was a single mom. Like just by being, you know, don't you think like at a time when you're not arguing, be like, wow, I was just thinking today myself, how strong mom was to like work hard and bring us all up on her own and how sad it was, you know, that she wasn't appreciated for the amount of hard work that she went on. How a lot of people think that women are scroungers and they definitely need a man to get by, you know, mom didn't. And isn't that great about mom? Like something small like that. But in the meantime, just fuck, sit there at dinner and shut your mouth like a good woman should. <laughs> All right. Emails coming in hot. Catherine, my wonderful fiance has suffered with psoriasis for the last psoriasis, psoriasis for the last 10 years. Despite receiving lots of treatments from the GP, such as ointments and sprays, it keeps flaring up. And I know it really gets to him. If it was you, what would you advise? I want to help make an action plan, exclusion diets, allergy tests, etc. You are so knowledgeable about autoimmune disease, so I'd really appreciate your advice. I'm less knowledgeable than I thought. Well, or more knowledgeable than I thought. One or the other, because guess what? Get a shovel and dig this. I don't think I ever had lupus. 
Yeah. So I've been officially diagnosed with lupus. I test positive for anti-nuclear DNA and I have anti-rho and anti-la antibodies. I don't have the anticoagulant thing though. And I don't like I'm asymptomatic. So that's really weird with lupus, I think. So those of you without lupus won't know what I'm talking about, but those of you with lupus, those are like definitive positive markers for lupus that I have. And this is 14 years ago I was diagnosed and those markers still turn up in my blood, but I'm like the healthiest person with lupus ever. So one of you listeners last um, two weeks ago sent me a note about my red nose. So I have a red nose in pregnancy and I always talk about, oh, in pregnancy I have this red nose, ha ha ha. But I haven't been pregnant for eight weeks now and the red nose is not gone. I have some makeup on it today, but it's not gone. Oh, for the listeners uh, wondering why I'm talking about what my nose looks like, I've started doing a video of the podcast. I'm using two computers because I'm a boomer and I don't know how to get my microphone hooked up to this new computer. So I use this one for video and I use this one for the sound. Anyway, I have a red nose still and it's actually getting worse. And someone wrote me a thing and they said, I think you have scleroderma or something or sclero. It doesn't matter, but it's like a mixed connective tissue disease is what I think I fucking have now. And I think I don't have this scleroderma and I don't have lupus. I think I have some mixed connective tissue disease in the middle. And that is a story for a different day. But I mean, no one knows anything about autoimmune. This is why people are misdiagnosed. This is why people don't know how to help themselves. This is why eczema runs rampant on our children. Nobody really knows. But if I had psoriasis that was out of control, steroids, maybe. I would definitely go on a gluten-free diet is what I would do. I would exclude wheat, barley, rye from my diet, all bread, all pizza, all pasta, all gluten. It's not that hard to do. I've been gluten-free for a long time. I have cheated kind of since Fenna was born, but there are apps to tell you what restaurants are gluten-free, what you can order. It feels really restrictive at first, but that's what I would do for psoriasis. For a long time, people didn't realize that psoriasis is an autoimmune disease. They were just like, I have a rash, but these ointments and creams and everything else, they're they're good short-term um for like reducing your symptoms but they're putting out the smoke not the fire i think to put out the fire he needs to probably be tested for other autoimmune diseases because they do overlap and i don't know if there's if he can get on like hydroxychloroquine like i'm on i don't even know if that's relevant with psoriasis but being gluten-free is definitely the first step and trust me when i tell you i'm going to get to the bottom of whatever mixed connective tissue disease i think i might have And that's definitely what my red nose is from. So I either have a new autoimmune disease on top of lupus, which is totally plausible, or have something, something that's like scleroderma and something that's like lupus, but potentially doesn't have a name. How fun for me. Catherine, can I date with no sex? I'm romantically attracted, but otherwise asexual. Well, I don't know. Oh, when shall I tell men that I'm not sexually attracted to them? Never. Men hate hearing that. Tell every man you meet that you are sexually attracted to him, including but not limited to Father Christmas. All right. I'm a 28-year-old woman who has never been sexually attracted to anyone in my life. This used to make me feel broken, but I've come to realize that I'm probably just asexual. Yeah, maybe. I'm romantically attracted to men, so I do want to be in a relationship. I got into my first relationship with a guy when I was 23. I had the excuse of it being my first relationship. So we took it super slow and we didn't have sex until 10 months in. I don't actually hate sex. I'm just very indifferent towards it. Well, I like to use the analogy of sex being a donut. 
Sure, I can eat donuts every now and then. They can even taste good sometimes, but I will never feel hungry or actively crave a donut. (laughs) My ex and I broke up after about three years, but we're still very close. He's my best friend. We've recently gotten into an exes with benefits situation. Why? Why are you getting donuts from this man if you don't even care? He treats me well, and I know I should try to move on. I've fallen into the I won't find anyone else like him trap as he's so accepting of my lack of sexual desire and we get on so well, but you're fucking this guy. I should try dating again. I know. I've never dated anyone else. I feel like I'm wasting my 20s, but the idea of putting myself out there is fucking terrifying. I'm on hinge, but I never get the nerve to swipe right on anyone as I feel like I'm just leading them on. I can never even picture myself having dinner with them. Hmm. Hey, I won't ever find you attractive and I'll only be up for having sex once a month. It doesn't exactly seem like first date conversation. It will probably send guys running for the hills, even on date four or five. Do you have any advice on when is the best time to broach that sex isn't really my thing? It doesn't have to be off the table entirely, but sex seems like a huge deal breaker for most people. Social media comment sections, especially Love Island, Too Hot to Handle, etc., are full of people talking about sex or disparaging people who don't have it. It's disheartening. It makes me terribly anxious about what the dating world holds for me. Well, I don't know what this is mentally. I don't know. It seems like you're really smart and articulate and you know what you want. Um, Maybe... Maybe it's worth talking to a sex therapist or even a regular therapist about what this actually means. And I only say that because you say it's disheartening. It's causing you distress. If it wasn't causing you distress, I'd be like, stay out there just dating people and not fucking them because you won't be the only person who's like that. Um, I wouldn't take the Love Island and Too Hot to Handle comments section as a reflection of real life. I think that is a very heightened, like sex crazed sample group. And also the way people talk online is like not how they behave in real life. I would say all of us end up having sex either once a week or once a month for a period of our lives anyway. (laughs) So It is unusual, I think, at the start of a relationship, though, for most people. But just because it's unusual doesn't mean it's bad, doesn't mean it's wrong, doesn't mean you won't find more people like you. So my advice would be date people because you want to, meet people romantically because that is a form of like connection and intimacy. And I don't know if you like kissing people or cuddling people, but I think like touch is really important just to regulate your central nervous system and lower your cortisol, and it's a lovely thing. And say straight away, like, I'm not a super sexual person, right, right away. And then you might be sat across from someone who goes, oh my God, neither am I. Another option, if you're okay with it, maybe because you're young and I don't know, you could be with someone who gets a pass to fuck other people because you're not super into it. Maybe you'd feel really jealous about that and you would hate it, but maybe you'd be fine with it because it's not for you, you know, like if I didn't like donuts, which by the way, I don't. And Bobby was like, I love you so much, but like there aren't enough donuts on offer in this house for me. And I really need to go out and get donuts once in a while. I'd be like, eat as many donuts as you want. I don't care. You don't have to share with me. You don't have to tell me every time you've had a donut, I won't be having donuts with you. I don't like donuts, but I love everything else about you. And we don't have to be exactly the same. So those are two options that I think, I think could work really well for you. My boyfriend teaches picking up women for a living? Like the film Hitch? 
Catherine, please keep my name and his name anonymous if you decide to read this on your podcast. Well, it looks like I'm going to do that. Am I crazy for staying in a relationship with a man involved in the day game pickup artist industry? I didn't even know that was an industry. If you're not aware, I wasn't. Day gaming is basically a method that men use to cold approach women in the street with the aim of getting their number, a date, or even better, a shag. This method is largely being taught by YouTubers filming their interactions with random women on the street. The women involved generally don't know they're being filmed. I have a problem with that. My boyfriend is a prominent day gamer who goes by the name of someone, and this is his YouTube channel. When I met him over a year ago, he told me that he earned his living by being a magician at people's weddings. This wasn't a complete lie. He really did earn some side cash as a magician when he was younger. It's a complete lie. It's, it's not a complete lie. Are you okay with something being half of a lie? He lied. He's a liar. When I met him, he still had a magician website to back up his claims. And his Instagram name was, and still is, this. In hindsight, it was kind of stupid to believe he made as much money as he told me he made simply by being an event magician. But as I said, there was evidence, so I'm not going to go down about myself on that too much. Good for you. We believe what we want to believe. Even if someone doesn't have a magician website, a man that I like tells me he's a magician for a while, I think, all right, maybe. I mean, I wouldn't date him at all. Who uses that as a cover-up for some more nefarious work that they're doing? Don't worry, babe. I'm a magician. I'd be like, well, sorry to hear you're not an arms dealer. I'm out. <clears throat> I sleuthed. I found out he has a decent following on YouTube, but makes most of his money charging extortionate prices to men who go on weekend boot camps with him to practice their pickup skills. No fucking way. My question is, how bad is the day game industry? And am I anti-feminist by being in a relationship with a day gamer? There are obvious concerns about women being filmed unknowingly, but in this day and age with smartphones and CCTV everywhere, it's a simple truth that we're all being watched and potentially filmed at any moment without realizing it. I don't think it's only day game YouTubers who are guilty of this. Look, you know what he's doing and he's doing it without permission. And he's filming these women and don't try to kid yourself like, yeah, but CCTV, does he work for MI5? Is he trying to protect the city? No, he's filming women without their consent while men try to fuck them and he's putting that online you know that it's different stop you already convinced yourself this man's a magician and we gave you a pass on that but now you're convincing yourself that he's he's hugely disrespecting people's privacy oh i'm mostly interested to hear your opinion of the day game industry itself i don't like what this guy's doing i don't like that you now have a pattern of like justifying what you know deep down is bad behavior. And that's what concerns me the most. You've had gut feelings about this guy twice where you went, oh, I believed this thing that sort of wasn't a lie, but it was. And now you're like, oh, well, CCTV films people. No, your boyfriend is exploiting women by capturing their reaction on video and monetizing it, profiting from it without their permission on his YouTube channel. He runs day camps to tell men how to meet women. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Like, I think it's good for, for people who might have social anxiety or who don't know how to talk to the opposite sex to have relationship coaching. But this isn't relationship coaching. This is like, let's blindside a woman in the street and try to fuck her and film it and put it online. And you know that that's wrong. And I just feel like... I just think what concerns me the most is that this guy doesn't seem to have a huge amount of esteem for women, respect for women, and you are the closest woman to him currently. I just think you've been day-gamed, 
and I don't like it. I think you can do better than this. And I think that you just need to be with someone who doesn't make you question your inner gut. That's what I find most tricky about it is that you stopped trusting yourself. I can't read any of this website because I don't want people to know who I'm talking about. But I mean, it's all about like having options, having confidence, getting beautiful women to want to fuck you, getting control. I just... Here's what I think about day gaming. It's a tricky one, but we don't have masculine programs anymore that are healthy and that are okay for anxious young guys to reach out to and go like, I want a girlfriend and I don't know how to talk to women and I'm shy and I don't want to be classified as a predator if I speak to someone and I want girls to like me. And I, I, you know, it's natural to want to have a romantic relationship and girls have support networks. We talk to each other all the time and you build women up and you go, you could be sassy and you can be strong and you can be confident. You could be this, you could be that. We've been doing this now for young women and building women up to be strong. We've been saying to boys like you, you're bad and you better shut the fuck up and don't come near what was like, you're never going to erase the fact that there is uh, non-toxic masculinity, just like masculinity, like guys want to be guys and be confident and hang out with other guys. And they want to have sex with women. And there needs to be a healthy way to nurture that. Because if you erase that completely, then you have guys going to these like really quite sad boot camps and turning to like internet incels who tell them like, yeah, we're going to find women and bang women and like when there's nothing in the middle, then everything's on one end of the spectrum and both ends of the spectrum are not good. So this is an interesting point, the day gaming. I think day gaming exists because there's no space in the middle where we allow men to like talk about their feelings and learn how to be in a healthy romantic relationship and, and don't deny them of like masculinity. You know, they're, they've been told for at least the last decade that being masculine is wrong. It's not wrong in, in a positive way. And just the way, the same way being non-binary or being anything else is not wrong. Like some guys are like, I like to go out and have lager and like look at women. I don't know. I don't know. We got to find a healthy way, a healthy way to nurture teenage boys leading up to men. Oh, Catherine, my brother and his non-blood aunt are in love. Thanks for including non-blood in that. That really, really was settling. Ugh. Recently, Catherine, my brother has admitted he has feelings for my aunt. They're not blood related in any way. My uncle, my dad's adoptive brother, married my aunt 15 years ago. My brother's 27. My aunt is 38. My aunt has been separated from my uncle for two years, with the divorce being finalized later this month. When my aunt separated from her husband, who was and still is emotionally and verbally abusive, she let my brother live in her house and pay rent to make ends meet. My whole family loves my aunt and has never wanted to make her feel ostracized. She's from a different country, so my brother living with her helped her stay connected to the family that lives here. After living with her for two years, they both admitted to having feelings for each other. I'm in my late teens. I've always seen my aunt as a second mother. I would go over to her house, play with my cousins. We'd have sleepovers. Adding to that, my brother has always wanted kids. She has two already. And the last one almost killed her during birth. What a dick. 
I want to support them as they're two consenting adults. Do you have any advice as this just seems weird? (sighs) Your brother's 27 and your uncle married this woman when your brother was 12. That's the bit that I really don't like. This woman has been part of the family and has known your brother presumably since he was 12. So I don't really care what age they are now. This has Rene and Celine Dion written all over it. I think if, if you know someone from infancy and then you grow up and marry them, even if they're adult, it's very Woody Allen. I really don't like it. And I think you're wise to think it's creepy. Like, oh, we, we developed feelings for each other living under the same roof for the last two years. Of course you did. That, like they put pandas together and the same result happens. The greatest predictor for like romantic intimacy is proximity. So like you put two things in a cage and they're gonna fuck. I don't like it. I would say to the family, I have like a family meeting and I'd be like, this woman knew us when we were kids and I know they're all consenting adults now and it's not illegal what's going on, but I find it personally creepy. I used to go and play over there. You were very young when she came into your life, very young but your brother was still young. He was 12. I hate it. I think you're right to hate it. And if, if it continues, then like, there's nothing you can do. Cause like you said, they're adults, but you have my support in thinking it's creepy. <gasps> Catherine, our friends named their new dog, our dream baby name. Oh, I'm expecting a baby. My partner and I always like this one particular boy name. We didn't tell anyone what the name is. Oh, a few months ago, one of my close friends got a dog and named him that name. We still love the name. Do I ignore it and still use it or is it too weird? I don't see this friend often, maybe a few times a year. What are your thoughts? This is not your problem. I thought you said the name out loud and the people used it for their dog. You never said the name out loud. It's just a coincidence that the friend's dog is named this. Let me tell you a little secret about dogs. They don't live very long. So this is like a non-problem because you rarely see this family, but it's only a non-problem for like 15 years max. Don't worry about it, depending on the breed. If it's a, if it's a French bulldog, this is a five-year problem. Go ahead and name your baby whatever you want, and that baby is going to live a wonderful, happy, healthy life for 100 years, and the dog is going to be a wrap quite soon. Don't worry about it. That's great news. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. It's lovely to have Fena with us. It's always my very silent co-host. If you ever want to write me a letter, it's tellingeverybodyeverything at gmail.com. My book is called The Audacity. That is available to buy, to download, uh, to read on Kindle, to listen to as an audiobook. I have uh, not a lot going on lately. I'm sitting at home, so I'd love to hear from you. I know Joanne would love to hear from you. I appreciate your support listening to the podcast, and I'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.